you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. We're going to be in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13 today, so feel free to flip your Bibles there. Glad you're here. Glad you're joining us online. We say this every week. We're a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we strive to live out that identity through values. We have four of them. We strive to practice love with everyone always, give more than what makes sense, chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives and to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. Just uh, an announcement for you guys. You may have seen uh, the Christmas tree in the hallway, in the, the fellowship hallway already. Uh, we are starting uh, our what we used to be formerly known as the angel tree. It's called the blessing tree. And there's some inst- instructions by that tree, but essentially it's us getting uh, an ornament from that tree, purchasing it, and, and getting it back to us that and then they'll take it and they'll distribute it to people who are in need in our community. So we've always done this well. We normally have the tree cleared pretty quickly. So note that out in the hallway. Uh, just wanted to speak real quick uh, about the status of service. As you guys are already aware, you're here. Uh, we've made some changes. We've shut down our children's ministry. And look, if you've got a kid in here, it's okay. All right? We're going to deal with it. Uh, there's no reason to be embarrassed. Uh, uh, if you are concerned, just to know that the, the, our coffee lounge and our cafeteria is playing the service as well, you're welcome to come in there or go in the room there. Uh, we are, for the foreseeable future, not going to have children's ministry. This is kind of a crazy season, and things have gotten real pretty quickly here. Uh, I mean, I've, I'm coming back from having coronavirus uh, a couple weeks ago, so things are getting really real. And so here's our aim. We believe that Scripture calls us to meet together, calls us and commands us to not neglect the pattern of meeting together. So we're going to do all that we can to make sure that our doors stay open so we can gather in corporate worship and prayer. And so there are things that we're going to do by shutting our children's ministry down for a little bit. We're not going to have our groups. We're going to ask you to wear a mask as you come in and out of here because we want to make sure that we can do this always. And so just take those to heart. If you have questions, come and ask us, me or or one of the elders. Well, let's turn to Scripture today, and let's look into James. We're going to start here in chapter 13, and we'll work our way through this. James chapter 4, verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today as, as people who take pride in knowing our tomorrows. We take pride in accounting that we have enough for tomorrow. Uh, 
But Lord, your wisdom here seems to compel us to question that. And so, Lord, we come under your word today. Will you reveal in our hearts conviction where we need to be convicted, joy where we can have joy. And we pray all these things through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I so appreciate Adam for his word last week. Uh, it's always encouraging to listen to him as he started here in chapter 4. One of the things that I took note of while I was listening to Adam was seeing the book of James as a steadying force in the lives of believers. James is this book that, that gives us stability in our lives that we can read these words and hear these words and say, we ought to be doing these things. Or we should be careful in having these sorts of attitudes and behaviors. And so the focus of James' wisdom here at the end of chapter 4 is a caution against the arrogance of self-reliance and self-dependency. That is his wisdom today. You know, there's a famous author, an enlightened author named Ralph Waldo Emerson. Maybe you've read him in school at some point. He, he made a lot of essays, and those essays were gathered into a book called Self-Reliance and Other Essays. And in that essay, there, there is some really good wisdom, but there also is some half-truths that are dangerous. Emerson says this, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. He says, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. And I'm sure there are pages on Pinterest that are full of artwork where that quote is centered in the midst of it. It's a great thing to think about. It's a delighting sense to think that within me, I could, through transcendence, create peace and find peace, secure peace in my own being. But is that true? Is it true? Is the idea that Scripture says about peace, this idea of wholeness and rest, is that achievable by everyone that's ever been created? Is that achievable by us? Is that within our own unique characteristics and ability to do so? And if so, how does one find it? And if one finds it, how do they know it? How do I know that I find it? And if peace is achievable, then why does it feel like we're always at odds with one another? And why does it feel that the world is more often at war than it is at peace? Why is it always in a proverbial state of chaos? James paints a completely different reality and picture than Ralph Waldo Emerson. Early in this chapter, James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? What is it that's causing this unrest, this chaos, this lack of peace in your midst? And do you remember how he answered? He said this, is it not this, that the passions in yourself are at war? That the passions in you are at war? And so where Emerson would say, nothing can bring you peace except for yourself. James would say, nothing in you can bring you peace. Nothing in you can bring you peace. And here at the end of chapter 4, James is going to caution us against the desired solution of a humanity that's seeking self-dependency, that's seeking self-reliance and sufficiencies, I got it out there, because of the passions that are at war within a people who are without peace. And James is going to point to this tool that makes a grand illusion in our life that we can achieve our own sufficiency. And the tool that James is going to point to is our ability to make profit. 
our ability to create margin in our lives. And what we will learn in this is that the more affluent we are, the more capable we are of achieving self-reliance and self-dependency, primarily looking at ourselves as the one who guides our paths. And so here's how James starts. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go in such and such town and spend a year and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know, not know what tomorrow will bring. James starts this out with an attention getter. This phrase, come now, can be translated into pay attention or look here. I'm about to say something important. And James describes a life of a merchant, which would have been a familiar life to many of those in that day. Merchants are people who would make their own products. They would harvest their own food. They would create whatever. And then they would go from town to town to city to city. They would set up in the square of the city, the, the temple of the, the court, the court of the temples, and they would sell their goods and services. And James is speaking to the one who says, hey, we are going to go here and we're going to do this. We're going to make plans and go do this because there is where we will make money. The critique of James is not, is not about one looking to do business, or the one who's trying to work. It is the confidence of one that says, we will go here, and we will make profit. They assume that it's in the bag. And James says, slow your roll. Slow your roll. You know, one of my good friends just this past month uh, got lured into, from this pop-up of an online sporting website that told him that he would get a $500 bonus if he signed up. And so my friend is intrigued, and he reads about the conditions as he's signing up for this $500 bonus. And the condition to get the $500 is that you have to deposit $1,000 onto this website, and then you have to take that $1,000 plus the $500 that they give you, and you have to bet it three times. And so I'm out as soon as I hear so $1,000 into this thing. But my friend, not so much. He reads into it, and here's his, he begins to tell us, like, guys, this is easy. Like, this is like we're stealing money. It's like every 4th of July, you feel like you're stealing fireworks because they give them away. Buy one, get 10 free. It's so easy, guys. I'm going to put my money in. You just have to bet on the easiest bet. So you could bet on the best team playing the worst team, and that would count for one of your three. This is easy. You know what happened? He didn't even make one bet. He couldn't get past one. He lost it all. Lost it all. My friend was presumptuous. He was arrogant. He was overconfident in his abilities. He lost $1,000 of his own money trying to get $500. He was overconfident in the results, and he learned the hard way that there is no guarantees of what happens tomorrow. Now, maybe you can't relate to my friend, and maybe you can't relate to the wealthy merchant that travels from town to town to sell his products, but you can relate to the one who is looking to make profit, to looking to create margin. What is profit? Profit is what's left after you pay all your liabilities. It's the margin that's left that you get to keep for yourself. And we take pride, don't we, in our ability to create 
greater and larger margins in our lives. It's why we sow in our 401ks. It's why we put money away for emergency fund. And it's not necessarily even about money. It can be about time. It's why we organize our days to make sure that we have enough time to fit everything in. It's why when there's a pandemic, we run to the grocery stores and make a run on toilet paper and milk and Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. It's why we buy ammo in times of chaos. Why? Because we lack the peace to believe that whatever happens tomorrow, it will be okay. And so we protect ourselves and we try to create as much margin, as much profit in our lives so we can feel secure that we have enough. And we pride ourselves in our ability to create that profit, that margin in our lives, that we can feel better about ourselves and can say, I got this. I can retire at this age. I can pay this off if I want it to. I have enough of this just in case. We raise our kids with the hopes that they will have more than we did, that they will not want, that they will be productive and make enough so that they don't have to worry about their tomorrows. Now, is the Lord against these things? No, the Lord's not against these things. He applauds good wisdom in planning for our tomorrows. It is the overconfidence, though, to believe that it is within your ability to know your tomorrows and make your plans. To know and believe that you think that you know how this life is going to play out. It is an illusion that we are living under, thinking that I've got this. I'm pretty good at this living thing. I've got it figured out. Yet James says, we don't know what tomorrow brings. We forget. Most every one of us in this room have faced the sobering truths of a tomorrow that brings hardship and disappointment and tragedy into our lives. We forget of the tomorrows that are exuberant, where we find favor and joy and blessing. But life has a way in its mundanes to make us believe that we know what's going to happen. It has an ability to make us assume that I know what will happen today and I will know what would happen tomorrow. Yet to live with the confidence as one who knows the future, according to the scripture, is unwise. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, he said this in one of his sermons. He said, there are two great certainties in our lives. One is that God knows and the other is we don't. There is no guarantees of tomorrow. And I don't need to be graphic to tell you that we have no idea what's going to happen when we walk out these doors today. James seems to say it's foolish to be one who's confident about what will happen. And then he asks this stark question, like, what is your life? What is your life? And isn't that a question that maybe plays out in our heads from time to time as we drift ourselves to sleep? Like, what is this life? Is this life just about acquiring enough so I don't have to live in fear of my tomorrows? Is this life the whole rat race of working and living just about getting some of what I can get to get comfort in my life? Having enough that I don't have to fear tomorrow 
and being able to say with pride, look what I did. What is life? To James, that seems to be an unfortunate miscalculation in light of the brevity of our lives on this earth. There is a shelf life on our journeys here on this earth. Every one of us have an expiration date. It's guaranteed. And we don't know when that date is, but we know that it's there. And whenever it comes, it will be too soon. Yet we live as people who believe that we have infinite tomorrows, that we have infinite time. But the wisdom of Scripture is clear. Life is but a vapor, a mist that comes and goes away as quick as it came. In our quiet moments, do you not reflect in bewilderment of where it all went? From time to time to say, how did I get this old? (laughs) And wasn't she just six? And it's really been that long ago? Life does not slow down for one of us. And it is a grace to remember that. It is loving compassion of James to remind us of that. The psalmist writes in Psalm 90, teach us to count our days, to teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. The wisdom of Scripture is that there is wisdom in knowing that your days are numbered. But there also is wisdom in realizing that your finite days on earth are under the care and the will of an infinite holy God who had no beginning and had no end, who created us, who guides us, who sustains us. We live short-sighted thinking that this life is all about us and is about getting what we can get in this life. There is a God who is sovereignly in control, who's sovereignly guiding. And maybe sometimes we hear that word sovereign and we say, what does that mean? Well, Scripture compels God's sovereignty to be this, that God is above and before all things. That God has created all things and He upholds all things, both on heaven and earth, visible and invisible. God knows all things, past, present, and future. God can do all things. He can accomplish all things. God has the authority and the rule over all things. God is not limited. He's not restricted. He's not inconsistent, nor is he corruptible like you and I. He is perfect in rule. He is perfect in love. He is perfectly good. He's perfectly just. And the author of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's because of that reality that James says, you ought to say, if God the Lord wills it, I will live and do this or that. And so is James saying that, hey, just throw God a bone when you're making your plans in this life. And so instead of saying, if we go to this town, let's go here and we'll make a prophet, say, if the Lord wills it, we will go to this town and we will make a prophet. Is that what he's commending us to do? Or or to say, I'm going to go home after this today and I'm going to watch the football game. Is it that we should say, should we talk in the king's English, right, to say, if it is thine will of thy father, we will go home today and watch thy entertainment via sports, 
Is, is this what James is asking us, to, to simply change our lexicon to more accurately reflect the reality in which there is a sovereign God? Well, the answer is yes and no. It is never a bad thing for us to say, I'm going to do this or that if it's the will of the Father or if it's right by God. That's sort of a confession of our belief and our hope and our surrender in God. But we know this, that the more we say things, the less meaning they have. And the more that we repeat things, the less authentic they become. And so we say things like, God bless you, or God bless America, or let go and let God. And they're well-meaning, but they lack authenticity, and they lack being helpful. They become just words. And so James knows that it's far easier to think and talk about being humble and dependent on God than it is to actually live that way. And so James isn't saying that in anything that we do, we need to say out loud, if the Lord wills it, let us do these things. The point is to have a mindset that says, I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. I am dependent on the Lord and his will in every facet of my life. It is to be overwhelmed with our necessity for God in my life. To be humbled by a God that says things in the Gospel of Matthew like, look at the birds of the air that they neither, they neither store or reap nor store into bar- bar- barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than they? Humanity is God's preeminent creation. The center of the triune's God's affection and care. And he seeks to rule and reign amongst those of faith that the world might know his love and his peace and his hope and his goodness. And we are invited by God to be faithful partners as ambassadors of Christ that the world would know that there is peace between God and man through Christ. To not live that way is what we call practical atheism. To portray oneself as knowing about God and loving God, but living as one who directs by their own passions and their own will and their own desire their life. Today, our secular, privatized, consumeristic affections have yielded a version of Christianity that has little or nothing to do with our living. We have elevated and made a spectacle of the superficial, of vanity, of consumption. We grow deeper and deeper in love with how we look, who we know, what we have, and who sees us. And at the same time, we are increasingly urged to take our religious beliefs more private. The Word reminds us of what this world is full of. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes, For all that is in the world, for the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The longer we live our lives assuming that we are creatures of this earthly kingdom, that we're creatures of this world, the more we remove God from the center of our collective lives and regulate him as being irrelevant to how the world goes about the business of living. We say, God is beneficial in the business of my dying. 
that I know that I can have peace in the afterlife. But when it comes to the business of living, that's mine. That's what it means to be a practical atheist. One who says they know and love God, but besides going to church or prayer before meal, you wouldn't notice it by the manner in which they live their lives. And James contends for us not to live that way. To be instead mindful of God. To know that I don't know the future, that I'm going to get it wrong, that my time on earth is brief. To understand that I don't have tomorrow and to live in a manner that is worthy to God today. To have Him in mind as you live. Not a simple prayer, God help me know your will, but one who trusts in God, who listens to God, who obeys God as the priority of our life doesn't mean that we can't have our pursuits. It doesn't mean that we can't pursue after things that we want. It just means that we invite God to be with us in that process. And in that pursuit, we live under the kingship of a good and holy God and not the kingdom and the kingship of our own self. James says, don't boast in your arrogance. James says, what, what he means is that don't just go around, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're short-sighted to know that you think, in thinking that you know what life is about. The pride that you have in the fact that your days are well-organized and that you have enough not to fear tomorrow is foolish. Like, what good is our vacation if tomorrow we get hit by a bus? It is arrogance to believe that we know our tomorrows. Arrogance. And James says it's foolish. And not only is it foolish, it's evil. It diminishes God himself. And James wraps up this whole section by saying, so whatever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, I've had conversations with people who have read this piece of scripture And they've said, so if I'm ignorant of the ways of God, I don't know what is right, then it's not sinful, right? And so if I don't read the Bible, if I am ignorant to the truth, how can it be that I have sinned? Have we not all thought that from time to time? How much can I do before it becomes sin? How much sin is acceptable before God? We've all done it. Two things. Number one, Paul says in Romans, it is clear and evident. God has made himself clear and evident. What can be known by a man is clear and evident. God has designed creation that we are without excuse. Number two, James is writing to believers in this passage. This passage is to those who have trusted in Christ and he's speaking in light of their salvation, your understanding of God, somebody who's taken the right accounting of who they are in front of a holy God. And he is saying, if you know what is right and you fail to do it, that is sin. To know who God is and to live contradictory to the words of Christ and know that it's right, but live to pursue your own passions, that is sin. We know that life is short. 
We know that we're going to get it wrong. We don't know what tomorrow brings. To live as somebody who says that they love God, yet lives their life, shows zero accounting for who you are and what Christ has done. And that, James says, is sinful. James is saying that sin isn't just about your behaviors and your attitudes. It's about failing to do the good that you were called to do. And James is saying, you know this. You know how big and holy God is. You know that he's good. To not account for that by the way that you live is sin. And so James is compelling to us in these verses. Not a life that's hesitant, delayed, like, oh, I've got to be so careful that I'm in the will of God. Not a life where we can't be joyful in our pursuits, but rather that we would be reminded of the scale of how gloriously big our God is and that we would remember that without Jesus, we are enemies of God. To be someone who accurately accounts themselves according to the magnitude of God and his mercy. You know, we get so bothered by getting, figuring out whether this is the will of the Lord. What is better is to understand that the will of the Father has always been to conform us into the image of the Son. That is much better living our lives trying to look more like Jesus and listening to his words and his commands than trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be. The will of the Father is that we would look like his Son, that we love our Lord with all of our heart, soul, and strength, that we love our neighbors as ourselves, and that would be the priority of our lives and that we don't let the pursuits of our world ever out-prioritize that, prioritize that in life. To never forget that. That is what promotes our flourishing and joy in our Father. This isn't about being fearful of tomorrow. It's not about having religious rhetoric, but it's rather one living in the kingdom of God as if it were here today in this present moment and that the King Jesus is on the throne both in heaven on earth and we live through the power of Christ. Christ is our power. Christ is our peace. Christ is our future. Christ has our tomorrows. And all we want to do is live by him. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and we are just so enamored with creating margin in our lives so that we don't have to fear our tomorrows, that we will never be in want. And in doing that, Lord, we believe that we are self-sufficient. We grow in self-reliance. And so, Lord, will you help us to be a people that finds joy in trusting you, have joy in depending on your grace, have joy in knowing that whatever happens tomorrow, that you'll be with me. And so, Lord, let us consider you more as we make our plans. Let us consider you more as we live our lives and convict our hearts and show us where we fall short. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.